Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ, our precious Lord and Savior. So grateful that you've been able to sign in with us today. And we hope that you are truly blessed by everything that goes on. I'd like to start off with a joke. There's an Irishman who walks into a store in Dublin because he wants to buy a can of fly spray. And so he picks up a, a, a can of insecticide from the shelves and he turns to the young man who's uh, stacking the shelves and he says to him, is this all right for wasps? And the young man replies, no, it kills them. <laughs> I know what you're all thinking, probably that I should stick to my day job. Anyway, I'll do, I'll do exactly that. But if there are any Irish people with you, please explain the joke to them so that they don't start laughing in the middle of my sermon. I wouldn't like to have that distraction. Just a little bit of family time. We're grateful that Cheryl has been able to source the chemo drugs for her treatment. It's been a real um, handstand for her to do that, but they, they arrived early this week and she's had her first chemo. So please remember to continue praying for Cheryl, not only for the medication to work, but for there to be um, something over and above that, something miraculous to bring healing to her body. And then also a little bit of feedback on trying to find a meeting place where we can get together now that we're allowed to meet in groups of up to 100. We're struggling. Um, the Ministry of Health said that it would be acceptable to meet in a school hall, but then when we approached Gateway High, they said that the Ministry of Education is not allowing them to, to, to get us to meet in their hall. So we, we continue um, to try and explore different options. Uh, we're waiting for old Georgians to see whether we can meet there. We have approached some different churches, but that hasn't really borne fruit. So what we're expecting to do is to have uh, a social together at number six Arundel Road, and then also probably a praise and worship evening as well, because people have been missing the opportunity of getting together to, to praise and worship as a group. So that's, um, that's what's going on with meeting. Let's spend a few moments in prayer now. Father God, we, we thank you for the rain which has fallen in the last few days. And Lord, we turn to you as the body of believers and ask that you would have mercy on our nation and that we would have a good, a, a good rainy season this year. Please have mercy on us and send lots of rain. And Father God, we would also like to pray for the Reed family as they grieve the loss of Jim. Please comfort them and be close to them during this time of need. And then, Father, we'd also like to pray for our time together today. Lord, we recognize that you want us to attain to the unity of the faith. You want us to attain to the knowledge of your Son and to attain to the measure of the fullness of Christ. And so we want to learn about that today. We want to learn how we can become a body that makes itself grow into everything that you have for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. So um, now would be the time to hit pause and go into a time of praise and worship. And then when you switch back on, I will still be here. So let's move on. Um, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. And as you'll remember, we started unpacking this passage two weeks ago. So I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. 
And please open up your Bibles and follow there with me as well. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That's a quotation from Psalm 68. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's Word. Two weeks ago, we took time to reflect on the sacrifices made in the past to get us to where we are today. We talked about the ultimate sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. And then we also talked about the sacrifices that were made in every generation in order to pass the baton of faith on to the next generation. There were a lot of sacrifices made. Now, those who sacrificed, what did they have in mind as the goal of their sacrifice? I don't think that it was an infantile church they had in mind a church that attained to the measure of the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, of the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. They had in mind a church that was mature and grown up. And that was a church worth sacrificing for. And so Paul, as he's in prison writing to the Ephesians, he says, I'm in prison for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of you, therefore live in the light of that sacrifice. And the way that we live in the light of that sacrifice is by growing up and maturing. And we learned last time, two weeks ago, that perhaps the biggest barrier to growth is disunity. And so we explained the importance of every member of the body of Christ working towards unity, maintaining unity by being charitable. And we said that being charitable involved being humble, being gentle, 
being peaceful and also by being patient in love. And we talked about how God has certainly kept up his side of the garden, uh, bargain by providing what we need to be unified. So what are we going to talk about today? Today we're going to talk about God's provision for growth, our responsibility to serve, and the explosive results of partnership. The incredible thing about the body of Christ is that it is like a human body. A human body makes itself grow. And that's our goal. That's what we want to be like. We want to be a transformational church that makes itself grow. God's provision for growth, our responsibility to serve, and the explosive results of partnership. The partnership that happens when we put together our responsibility and what God has provided for us to grow. Let's begin with God's provision for growth. God has provided four things to enable the body to make itself grow. First of all, He's provided gifts. Second of all, He's provided foundational people, then saints, and then the head. So gifts, foundational people, saints, and the head. Let's talk about gifts first of all. And we find that in verse 7. Verse 7 begins with the word, but. What Paul is doing there is he is contrasting two different things. In the previous verse, he's talked about the unity that exists in the faith. So we are one body. We have one head. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. But that unity doesn't imply uniformity. So he's contrasting that unity with the diversity that we see in the body of Christ. So we, although we are very diverse, are still unified. But then he says, grace was given. Now what, what is this grace that is given to us as a body of believers that helps us to grow? And we see from the context that this grace is in the form of gifts. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he goes on to say, Therefore it is written, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So Paul is referring to spiritual gifts here. This is the grace that is given to the church to enable it to grow. What do we learn about these gifts in verse 7? First of all, grace was given to each one of us. So that means that every member of the body of Christ receives some form of spiritual gift or gifts. And usually it's in the plural. Then the second thing is that Christ decides who gets what and how much each person gets. He, he determines the measure of the gift. Now this has some implications and we'll have a look at those. First of all, accept your gift. There is nobody in the body of Christ who doesn't receive a gift. Everybody gets a gift or a number of gifts. That's the first one. To each one, to every member was given a gift. 
So accept your gift. Start trying to figure out what it is. And then the other thing that we learn, other implication is that we should accept the measure of the gift that has been given to us. So for example, if you're somebody who has a gift in leading yourself and other people in praise and worship, the chances are you don't have the same measure of that gift as someone like Michael W. Smith, for example. You've been given a different measure, but that doesn't mean that you are inferior or less valuable or give a lesser contribution to the body of Christ. It doesn't mean that you're going to get less of a reward than Michael W. Smith, because what counts is the way that you use that gift and how faithful you are in using it. And so in my case, it doesn't matter that I'm not John Piper. I don't have the same size of ministry or the same impact or the same reach as John Piper, but that doesn't matter because I've been given a different measure of gift and my value and my self-worth is pinned on something else. It's pinned on the fact that Jesus Christ loved me enough to come and die for me. Let's move on to verses 8 through 10. Verse 8, as I alluded to earlier, is a direct quote from Psalm 68. And what Paul is doing is he's using that quote to prove that since Jesus was victorious over death and he went up from earth to a place of authority in heaven, he is therefore qualified and able to give us gifts. And the image here is of a victorious king leading a victory procession. And this is what happened in ancient times. When a king came back from a great victory, there would be a procession to celebrate that victory. And the king and his army would bring back all of the plunder that they'd managed to take from their enemies. And the king would pass out that plunder to everybody. Everybody got a share in the plunder. And then, of course, shuffling along at the back of the procession would be the prisoners. And usually the kings and people who had been authority in the nation that had been defeated as a symbol of the victory. And this is great news for us because it means that Satan and his demons have been defeated and Christ has shared the, the spoils of that victory with us in the form of spiritual gifts. But let's, let's not overlook now the purpose of those gifts. And you can find it at the end of verse 10. It says that, which means he's about to tell us the purpose, that he might fill all things. Now let's take a moment to reflect on this. If Christ's death and resurrection, his victory over death, means that he was able to give us gifts, and it also, he also did it, he achieved that victory in order to fill all things, don't you think that there is a connection between the gifts and filling all things? And obviously there is. It's because we are now Christ's body here on earth and he is sharing the responsibility of filling all things with us. One of the main ways in which Christ fills all things on the earth is through his church. And he does that by giving us gifts so that we can grow. So God has provided us with gifts, but there's more. He's also provided us with what I've called today foundational people. And I, 
I've come up with that term from the bit earlier on where Paul says um, the household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the prophets and the apostles are foundational people. And in verse 11, Paul lists five types of people that God provides for the church. It says in verse 11, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds or pastors, and teachers. Now the tense of the Greek verb here doesn't tell us anything about the time of the giving. And so I think we can deduce from that that some of these foundational people um, lived in the past. So some of the prophets that are recorded in the Bible, for example, some of the apostles that wrote um, in the Bible and we get to read it today. So these foundational um, people still have an effect on the church today. But God also provides foundational people in our time and in our generation as well. I love throwing these notes away. Um, so I'm going to throw that next one as well. What I wouldn't like you to do today is, is to get too bogged down with detailed definitions. We can move on to that in the future. But suffice to say that these foundational people have the capacity to provide holistic leadership that facilitates growth so that the body can make itself grow. And the capacity of these people is associated with a mix of spiritual gifts that equips them to provide that holistic leadership that stimulates growth. And when these foundational people are doing their job properly, each member of the body is enabled to do his or her job properly. And that sets the scene for every member of the church to grow. Just a warning, folks, and this is an important one. Be very careful what kind of foundational people you submit yourself to. Be very careful about that. Let me give you some background to this. For example, in Zimbabwe, a lot of people who live in Zimbabwe come from a tradition of uh, come from a heritage or a background of Afri African traditional religion. And so that means that before they became Christians, they were quite comfortable with going to Ananga in order to find out things, in order to, to connect with God. What tends to happen is when people like that become Christians, they know that they shouldn't be going to Ananga anymore, but they are tempted to go to white garment prophets. You know, the, the Vapa story, to go to those kind of prophets in order to connect with God. And that is a very dangerous thing to do because most of those white garment prophets are essentially Nangas. And so you need to be careful about who you submit yourself to. And it's also the same with teaching as well. Um, you can go onto YouTube and you can listen to all sorts of people. Don't forget that God has provided certain people, they are His provision for you here in Harare at this time and in Harvest Church. So be careful about who you submit yourself to. And remember that these foundational people make up a leadership team. And then verse 14 tells us their purpose, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. And folks, there's the, there's the, the standard, if you like, for evaluating whether somebody is a good foundational person. Are they speaking the truth and are they doing it in love? That those foundational people in their leadership team must be speaking the truth and they must be speaking the truth in love. And then of course we see the wonderful result when that is the case in verse 14. We're no longer children. We become the kind of church that all those people through the ages who've sacrificed had in mind when they did sacrifice. So, this leadership team with foundational people sets the scene for truth and for growth. God has provided gifts. He's provided foundational people. And now let's have a look at saints. Verse 12 says that foundational people, that team, are to equip the saints... For the work of ministry. Can you see the two elements of God's provision here? There's the foundational people who equip the saints and then the saints who do the work of the ministry. What does Paul mean by the work of ministry? And I, I think the easiest way to do this is to ask three questions and then put the answers together to define what a work of ministry is. First question, who does the work of the ministry. Look at verse 12. It's the saints. The saints do the work of ministry. Now this is a deception that has crept through the church worldwide that it's only the prophets and the teachers and the pastors, the people in the foundational team who do the work of ministry. No, they are to equip the saints, equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Second question, what is the purpose of the work of ministry. Well, look at verse 12 again. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So the saints do the work of ministry. The work of ministry is to build up the body of Christ. It's quite difficult here today with the wind blowing so hard, but we will succeed. Third question. What are the tools that we are given for the work of the ministry? And the tools, obviously, in this context here are the gifts. The gifts that we have been given, the spiritual gifts. So let's put these three things together, these three answers, to define the work of the ministry. It's the work done when every member of the church, every member of the church, builds up the church by serving the church with his or her gifts. It's the work done when every member of the church builds up the church by serving the church with his or her gifts. So, God has provided gifts. He's provided foundational people. He's provided saints. And then lastly, and I love this one, I love this provision, he's provided the head. Paul is using the human body as a metaphor, isn't he? And in this metaphor, the head of the human body represents Christ. And so there's some implications of this. First of all, without Christ, the body is dead because you can't have a human body without a head. You can have a human body without fingers and all sorts of different things, but you definitely cannot have a human body without a head. 
So we need Christ as the head. Second thing is that Christ has ultimate authority over the body and he is the one who leads it. And it's good as a side note for the foundational people to recognize that. Christ has ultimate authority over the body and he leads it. And then thirdly, we don't need to fill somebody else's shoes. Verse 15 says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And this was a great encouragement to me in 2017 when Dave and Chrissy Eden left. Because my little inner critic, the flesh, was saying, Ian, are you big enough to fit Dave Eden's shoes, to fill Dave Eden's shoes? And I realized after a time, I don't have to fill Dave Eden's shoes. All I have to do is to grow up into Christ. And that's what each one of us is called to do. You don't need to measure yourself up against someone else. You measure yourself against the stature of the fullness of Christ. And wouldn't we want to grow into our head? He's such a wonderful man. He's such a wonderful God. Wouldn't we want to become steadily more and more like him? So gifts, foundational people, saints, and the head. And by giving us these things, God has done the lion's share of the work. Let's turn now to our responsibility. And I think we've covered it, but let's just spell it out for the sake of clarity and for the sake of those Irish people amongst us. Foundational people use their gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry. When the foundational people are doing their job properly, each member of the body is able to do his or her job properly. The saints do the work of the ministry, which is the work done when every member of the church builds up the church by serving the church with his or her gifts. Now, I'd just like to say that it is possible to serve others for self-serving reasons. And this is why Paul ends today's passage on a high note and an important note in verse 16. He says that the body must build itself up in love. So when we speak, our speech must be true and it must be spoken in love. Why is speech so crucial? And we can see it here because he's talking about being carried about by every wind of doctrine, by craftiness, by deceitfulness. He's talking about words here. Why is it so important for speech to be full of truth and to be full of love? Well, folks, it's because what we speak reflects what's in our hearts. The, the mouth speaks the overflow of the heart. And if Christ is dwelling in your heart through faith, then that is possible. It's possible for us to speak the truth with love. And that's why Paul set the scene. Can you see this? That's why he set the scene in the previous passage by praying that the Ephesians would have Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith so that the overflow of their mouth would be true and characterized by love. Now let's stop for a moment to think about what will happen if we don't fulfill our responsibilities to serve. And this is crucial. This is 
perhaps the most important part of my whole sermon today. What will happen if we don't fulfill our responsibilities? We'll look at verse 16. And verse 16 is a little bit of a complicated sentence. Let's, let's just cut it down to the core of the sentence and then bring in some of the other aspects as we go along. So the core of the sentence here is from Christ, something is coming from Christ, the whole body makes the body grow. From Christ, the whole body makes the body go. In other words, when Christ supplies and leads the body as its head, then the body makes